0: heart warm hug. It is what every parent, ally, and open-minded curious listener needs. Order it today. Welcome back, my friends. So happy you are here. My hope for you is that you can take a breath and feel a sense of calm while you are here. DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, is a huge initiative for corporations and academic institutions right now, as it should be. It is multifaceted and can seem quite complicated, but it really comes down to two things, awareness and education. How can we increase our awareness, deepen our knowledge, and make the necessary shifts in our actions and in our lives to help make every space one that is inclusive and filled with love. To me, this is not just an abstract question, but a guiding principle for daily life. I invite you to join me on this quest. Welcome to Just Breathe, Parenting Your LGBTQ Team, the podcast transforming the conversation around loving and raising an LGBTQ child. My name is Heather Hester, and I am so grateful you are here. I want you to take a deep breath and know that for the time we are together, you are in the safety of the Just Breathe nest. Whether today's show is an amazing guest or me sharing stories, resources, strategies, or lessons I've learned along our journey, I want you to feel like we're just hanging out at a coffee shop having a cozy chat. Most of all, I want you to remember that wherever you are on this journey, right now, in this moment in time, you are not alone. Raise your hand if you've ever been in conversation with your LGBTQIA plus child or friend and felt confused or embarrassed or even frustrated because you didn't understand the meaning of the words or phrases that they used. Come on, it's nothing to be ashamed of. My hand is raised. We've all been there which is why I created a guide for us called The Language of LGBTQIA+. It's a 50-page book of comprehensive yet easy-to-digest explanations. Text BREATHE to 55444 to access this amazing book. That's B-R-E-A-T-H-E to 55444. My guest today is an incredibly impressive and accomplished business leader and inspirational speaker. Victoria Pelletier's bio, which you can read in detail in the show notes, is an extraordinary display of breaking the glass ceiling in every possible way. She believes in the importance of personal branding, as well as the value of being an empathetic leader to empower employees. But what we focus on our enlightening discussion is the power of DEI on not just the corporate cultures, but all cultures and building a life of resilience. So, Victoria, I'm so glad that you are here with me today and here to share your story and your just incredible life experience. Um, You have been both personally, professionally, just really extraordinary. And I think the one thing when I was really, um, you know, learning about you and reading about you, one thing that stood out to me was how you've really lived on purpose. Like you have always been like This is who I am. I'm going to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, live out loud, right? Like, this is who I am, and I'm going to step into who I am and be that. And I think that is something we can all learn from. That is something that, you know, many want to do, but it is difficult to do. So thank you for being such a great role model in that way. And um, I'm just excited to learn from you today. Um, And so just let's just start kind of at the beginning. Let's start with your story and then we'll go from there.
1: Sounds good. Well, thanks Heather for having me here. I'm a incredible, maniacally focused leader around diversity and inclusion. And a lot of that comes from my own lived experience. And so therefore I do share quite openly to help others with their own journey. So my story, uh, I'm so I actually come from very, very difficult beginnings. And it it do, did actually inform how living out loud I was and or what I told on a public forum versus in smaller setting. So I'm born to a drug addicted teenage mother who many years later, I found out came out as lesbian while she was in jail. And I that initially probably caused me to sort of reel a little bit in terms of how comfortable I was with my own sexuality look like. Sure. At age 14, however, when I was in high school, in a Catholic high school in a relatively small town, I came out as bisexual. Although I dated mostly guys at that point, and some of that was just access to other people in the queer community in the town I was in. And then when I got relocated to a much larger city uh, and met one of my first friends was a gay man who took me to the gay community, I met women that I started dating, and then later met and married a woman whom I was with for 11 years and vacillated at times between am I bisexual? I'm a lesbian until I think as I matured and grew and got a little bit more comfortable in my skin, Mm -hmm. got comfortable with my queerness. Uh, I don't love labels. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I would say bisexual, although my daughter tells me because I would be open to sleeping with trans people, I should say that I'm pan. I just prefer the word queer. Uh, I did separate from my wife, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years after that from from her second bout of cancer. And I'm now married to a man. And I'm in this amazing family where, you know, I'm open have been open to dating those people that I'm attracted to and um, I think are great humans, Mm -hmm. to a man who often gets mistaken as a gay man because he's very fit. He likes to dance. He used to teach massage therapy. I have this huge, hulking, incredibly straight Son, both looking and certainly dating girls, and then I have a daughter who's queer, who came out at age eleven or twelve as initially bisexual to lesbian, who now in the last you know six or eight weeks is gender questioning. So that's my story.
0: Well, that is a an excellent. Everybody needs to take a breath and just like process all of that. That was a lot of information. That was a lot of a lot of stuff, and. um I think one of the things, you know, again, that just jumps out at me is how you were just kind of like, I'm going to just see, like, you've never been stuck to, like you said, a label, like, this is what I am. This is how I'm defining myself and that's it. Right. I love that. Um, you've been very much like, I I need to, I'm not quite, you know, I haven't felt all the way through, right. There's, there's layers here and I need to figure out those layers and um it's such a great example of, you know, I'm just going to put the whole label thing to the side because I, I too feel the same way about labels, but I think, you know, as we were talking a little bit earlier, people like labels, right? People want to use labels. And I think sometimes, especially when you're new to understanding, it helps to have that just so you can get that understanding. Right. And as we both know, bisexuality is, is very misunderstood. And, um, and I think if you asked 10 different people, you would get 10 different answers, right? Kind of the same with pansexual. Um, it's, it's very kind of every person has their own unique definition of what that means. Um, so I'm just wondering if we could talk a little bit about your thoughts on bisexuality and, you know, how you would define it, so to speak. Um, yeah. It's so
1: bisexual, I mean, we think binary one or, you know, the other. And so bisexuality for me, when I came out was around the fact that I was um, interested in both men and women. Mm -hmm. and um and now I think that's evolved as you know my daughter as I said earlier said I should be much more broad and so I I prefer to say queer just means I'm not straight is Mm -hmm. really what for, for me but what I've heard about you know the label of bisexuality is a multitude of things from you know many people who just don't understand what that means or I remember the first serious girlfriend I had a lesbian and she and I had a big argument because I remember her telling me then that it just meant you know those who declared themselves bi hadn't fully come out of the closet they were dipping their toe into it now funny she and I are still friends to this day and I, I was I'm 46 we were 20, I was 20 when dating her and she's now evolved she's like I'm sorry I was wrong back then <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she's acknowledged that as she's grown in, you know, in the LGBT community and in her own queerness and, and comfort in comfort and self. And so I hear really, really mixed things about it. And then also felt very different in the LGBT community around this status or class in terms of where you sit on, you know, on the on the spectrum, quite frankly.
0: Right. Right. Which is so interesting to me. I mean, it's, I guess, shouldn't be surprising. Right. And I've, and I've heard, you know, different things from different people, uh, who sit at different places <laughs> and on the spectrum, but I think that is so fascinating. And I guess, I mean, we could both speculate to, as to why that is. Um, but why, why do you think that is?
1: I, I think it's just a lack of understanding, quite frankly. Uh, and or the experience of others, their lived experience and exposure to it. And so for many people, you know, bisexuality, I think they just believe that you haven't been declarative or made a choice. And the reality is I I don't think we have to make a choice or it changes over time. Just like our our hobbies and our interests change and pivot over time. So too can at times there's a greater interest in one thing versus another. So for for me, I think that's the, the misunderstanding, and I think that's why I've felt this sort of marginalization when I speak openly about dating men and women, um, because gay men or lesbians are just saying, "Well, we're all in on one thing," and it doesn't mean I, I, I'm not. For for me, it's truly about the the human that I've chosen to date or be partnered with. And I look for qualities in that that has less to do with body parts and more to do with intelligence and kindness uh, of the individual themselves.
0: Right. Well, and I'm wondering, too, you know, as you say this, because my daughter, similarly, we were having a conversation a few weeks ago, and I think our daughters are about the same age, said, you know, the same thing. She was kind of wondering that about herself and being pansexual. And uh, so I think that's such an interesting, you know, that's something that I don't know. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but pansexuality really was not. it, It may have been you know, 40 years ago, but certainly people weren't recognizing it or understanding it. And I feel like now it does make so much more sense, right? Because it is that, like you just said, that attraction to the human, the, the, you know, the soul that's, I always say, I'm like, it's a soul connection, you know? <laughs> um, and then instead of like a physical only attraction. So, you know, part of me wonders if that's kind of a piece of the equation, um, a piece of, I'm just kind of wondering out loud, not necessarily a question in there. But um, (laughs) as, as we ponder these things, I just find it, I do find it interesting. And I do find, you know, it interesting as well that, you know, B is it's LGB, like, it doesn't mean that you, you're not all in you, it's, it's another orientation. And um, so I do just kind of always think, hmm, that's so interesting that one would question the other, right? Um, because I just, it, everybody needs to be working together. We all need to be working together.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things about it, 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 it it's all about, you know, include acceptance and inclusion. And so the fact that being bisexual has made me feel more marginalized is completely contra to what it is that the community as a whole has been advocating and demanding for all of these years around being treated equally, having equal rights and being accepted and feeling they can show up and be their whole selves. Right. I've seen improvements. I've seen improvements over the years, uh, but there are still some differences, which is sad
0: hmm. There are there are. And I think, you know, that a lot of that goes back to just understanding and um, and like anything, you know, it's the that's kind of kind of continual education. Right. As we learn more, as more information comes out, as our kids come out younger Right. And it gives us this like extra time to like figure things out and learn all these new things. Right. I mean, I just feel like there's so much more information available now to everyone in the community and, you know, allies and others. Right. Where it's it's there for people to learn. It's there for people to be like, oh, OK, this is how I can be more inclusive. This is how I can, either change my languaging or, um, you know, have that light bulb moment of, oh, okay. That's what that means. Like I finally get it, you know? So, um, yes, I could not agree more that, um, it, you know, everybody needs to come together to really, to make this, make this work. Um, I mean, as a total aside, but you'll, you'll get where I'm going in a minute. I, um, when, Row was overturned in June. My daughter and I were watching, because, you know, why not add insult to injury, the documentary, Reversing Roe. Have you seen it?
1: I haven't seen it.
0: Okay. I highly recommend it, but buckle your seatbelt. It's tough. But as I was watching it, what I found so interesting is that this was an organized, like the organization to get to what happened in June has been decades in the making. I mean, the on the on that side, on the people who were, you know, and I can't even say pro life because they're not pro life, but those those people, right? And the the oh, my goodness, between just I I can't even there's like not even words, but I was watching it thinking that's why this has been successful because they all like they found this message that they could get so many people to buy into, even though it was not accurate in any way, shape or form, but they, they were able to sell this message and sell it over 40 years to be able to overturn this. And that is where I feel, you know, and and now I'm talking just very specifically in the LGBTQ community, but as you know, And I I say we as an ally and as an advocate. So please don't anybody take offense to that. But as we fight for things, right, and are out there, we all need to come together. Everybody needs to come together and organize and get on the same page. And a message that is accurate and true, because that is where you know, I just believe so much in, in in that. So I know that's probably idealistic in some ways. It's just, that's been sitting with me for all these months. And I'm like, I am just stunned. (laughs) I mean, still.
1: Yeah, I know. I I feel exactly the same. I belong to a women's executive (laughs) network and there's a whole community that's been built within it. We're talking about what does that look like? Reproductive rights and health rights, et cetera. And we're all just completely incensed.
0: Oh, Yeah. I mean, well, thank goodness, you know, there there are people like you out there who are doing these things and fighting, you know, because especially in, in the corporate world, I am sure you are constantly running up against some other challenges, perhaps. So I'm I'm just guessing. I don't I don't know.
1: <laughs> uh, yes. There's a multitude of forces external that are coming in to deal with, and the like corporate and DEI is only one element of, of that.
0: Yes. So tell me, I would love to know a little bit more about your um, DEI work and what um, what you are doing, kind of specifically, and then kind of what you envision going forward.
1: Yeah, I've uh, been such an advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion because of my own experience initially. So I became the COO of um, a privately held outsourcing company at age 24, new mother, only woman in the room, uh, queer. Uh, So I was the only on a multitude of fronts. And so that became my a journey. Of recognizing that uh, you know our voice is our power. And what could I do with that given that I sat in an executive role? And there were no formalized either, they call them either employee or business resource groups, ERG, BRGs within companies. At that point, they weren't formalized. That came a, about more like in the last 10 to 15 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I used my my voice and my power to advocate for others that were marginalized and it like, had similar experience to myself although i recognize i still have a significant amount of privilege being born as a white woman in north america mm-hmm. uh, to others and you know shifted that into trying to create much more diverse workplaces and more inclusive workplaces i've also realized it's incredibly good for business not just the right thing to do you know, so in managing the businesses I've been in, a lot of the times when you look at, you know, outsourcing of services, think contact center or back office activities, that's not always a destination for employees. As new immigrants to the country, for example, or as a stopgap, they go there, but I want to create a great environment so they stay there as long as possible or find a career path for them. So it's shifted into being part of, and in many cases, leading LGBT and leading women resource groups. Mm -hmm. amongst others, but those are the two I personally identify with within the organizations to maybe eight years or so, you know, my role as a C-suite executive, I moved into a business that was focused on supporting other companies, HR and workforce strategies, their outsourcing and technology. So what was a personal passion for me around building the right kind of diverse, inclusive cultures became part of my day job. And so now I spend a lot of times with C-suite executives and their direct reports or even boards of companies trying to figure out how to build more diverse, equitable, inclusive workplaces uh, with the right kind of leadership policies, procedures that ultimately drive the right kind of culture we all want to work in.
0: That is amazing. That is so needed and so necessary. And I love how that is something you are kind of way ahead of the way ahead of the curve on that, weren't you? Um, And getting that going and moving. So thank you, because that is something that I really feel like in the past, maybe 18 months to two years, we have seen a huge push, which is phenomenal. Um, And and I almost feel like in some cases it's okay. We want to do this, but how how do we do it, right? How do we, you know, either support internally or educate internally, right? And um, you know, what, what does that look like? And so it is. It, I find it very fascinating. So I'm so glad that you're you're doing it and you're leading the charge. It's awesome. Thank you. So kind of looking forward both in your position um, professionally, but also personally, what do you feel are a few things that need to be done to move forward, to continue? moving? Because we're kind of, there's, it's difficult right now. Right. So people are always asking, you know, what can we do? Um, What can we, you know, who can we talk to or what those types of questions do you have kind of in your mind? Like these are the steps that the next steps that need to be taken, or this is what, you know, people on the ground can be doing.
1: There's what I'd say, Heather, there's no, there's no silver bullet or one particular thing. So when I look at, you know, building these kind of workplaces and communities, quite mm-hmm. frankly, there's, I have a phrase I talk about strategic intentionality. Mm-hmm. And so that means, you know, we need to, you know, create um, and report on metrics to help identify how we're moving the needle. Mm-hmm. And so building policies and procedures and hiring leaders that have the right kind of values, actions, behavior, and language to create inclusive culture. So it starts at the entry point in terms of, are we hiring or inviting in? I'll I'll focus on workplace, but I mean communities at at large as well. Mm -hmm. In workplaces, are we hiring a diverse workforce? And I will not accept from anyone saying, well, I didn't get like a, a, a broad slate of candidates. Well, then you didn't look hard enough. You weren't going to the right places to find the right kind of diverse talent. But are you bringing them in as quickly as they might be exiting. So the next thing is, are you creating this equitable environment where there's equal opportunity of pay and of opportunity for advancement within the organization? And then the, the inclusivity or sense of belonging is, in my opinion, that's the outcome of having the right leaders in place with policies and procedures to hire people, train them, give them opportunity, and allow them to feel like they can show up and be their whole selves in the workplace. That's what creates inclusion and belonging, will build retention within the employee population. So there's, like I said, no no one thing that, you know, here it's a multitude of all of these pieces that need to come together. And sadly, I'm seeing um, incentive now, to do the right thing, which disappoints me because I'm, I'm not a pessimist uh, and I want to believe that people uh, all want to do the right thing in creating diverse, equitable, inclusive cultures, but incentive drives behavior. So we're starting to see you know, executives and boards being held accountable for having diverse talent within the workplace in Mm. countries like Europe in particular is further ahead when you look at some of the regulatory requirements that they have in terms of who gets, and actually the NASDAQ and S&P here started to do that in terms of who can get listed on their exchange. Do they have at least so many women or people of LGBT on the boards and in executive positions? So that's starting to drive it forward. But even when you look at women in the workplace, in the US, it's going to take another 40 plus years to even get to parity, sadly.
0: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea it was that long still. still. And ho-
1: hundreds of years when we look at other countries. So again, that's where I say I, you know, we all have privilege, you know, being in North America because we're further advanced on that front than others. When you look at um, particularly at least gender equity. So that's the one gender equity, you know, because it's, you know, in, in all of our HR systems, we know our employees' gender Not all Mm -hmm. countries can collect the same level of data as it relates to the other elements of diversity, whether that be race, religion, sexuality, neurodiversity, physical disability and other physical disabilities, veteran status, all those things. But that's the intersectionality we also need to be looking at. But from a gender perspective alone, we're still very, very long way to go.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. So this can also translate to building community right and creating positive movement forward within community and so i like that this is very translatable thinking about i was as you were talking too i was thinking okay well this can translate to you know who's in place Who are the leaders in a community, right? Whether it's a town or a local organization or a school, right? And what are they, what are the, what's their messaging? What are they driving forward? And so I think that that is how this translates, right? Down to just a very small community level for everyone um, who is really thinking, how do I make a difference, right? And sometimes I know it's very difficult when you look at the huge picture of what's going on, even, I mean, even if it's just you're in your state, right? Not even the United States or goodness, you know, the globally, because that can just be so overwhelming that you just shut down and don't do anything. Right. So I think when it's so inspiring because you are not only have you been incredibly successful, but you have such clarity on what needs to be done, and so thank you for sharing that because that is very translatable for anyone um, to take and and use. So thank you, thank you so much. Of course, one one last question. Again, kind of looking forward. Do you feel, and this is very this is specific to LGBT. Um, do you feel hopeful? about where perhaps the community will be 10 years from now
1: i I am hopeful although i'm i'm scared we you talked about roe versus wade and of course Mm -hmm. where much of the lgbt community at least those that i'm talking to about uh, 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 about this is what does that mean for for lgbt rights is that going to be repealed? The ability to you know get married and have them on benefits, et cetera. So I'm extremely hopeful because there's these kinds of conversations and dialogue and allies being built consistently. Mm-hmm. Yet I have this snagging concern over what's going to happen from a political perspective, at least. In the U.S., might hear a bit of an accent. I'm actually originally from Canada, uh, and so you hear out when I say out about it, the good. only yes. words that <laughs> give me away. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and that is one of the things I'm, you know, staunchly proud of from a Canadian mm-hmm. perspective is the inclusivity and how far they move forward around uh, human yeah. rights generally. And mm-hmm. so it's here with me as a resident mm-hmm. here in the U.S. to with Roe versus Wade to see how I think we might be stepping back. So I'm. I'm cautiously optimistic uh but I certainly think that uh business leaders world leaders are trying to move things forward to create a much better community and workplaces for for all.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You can I can I mean, I think many of us who can are paying attention, right, who are really looking can, can definitely see that and see the markers, um, which is very encouraging, which is also why um, I was sitting on a panel a few weeks ago, and this was one of the questions. And I thought it was such an interesting question to ask if one has hope, because, you know, my answer initially was, well, if you don't have hope, like, what's the point, right? I mean, what are we doing? if we don't have hope. So of course I have hope, but um there's also a ton of work that has to be done and we all need to be paying attention and and figuring out what our role is, where where do we fit into this and and what are our gifts and our strengths that we can use to help move things forward in a positive way. Um I think that in the the very near future, I think it's right now it's very scary, but I think that Uh, I do have hope that we'll be able to get through the next few years without too much damage and be able to then, you know, move forward in a better, in a better way. Um, But again, that it's, that requires so many people just, you know, we need more and more people with the positive message and with positive understanding. So Mm -hmm. on all fronts, So anyway, um, is there anything else that you would like to add that we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about or clarify anything like that?
1: Um, Not specifically, other than building off what you were just saying, Heather, around this notion of having hope and around my phrase of being strategically intentional, I, I think that we we all have very much a place in this world to move things forward and not everyone needs to be the great extrovert. Like I am standing on public stages. There's a significant amount of ways that everyone can contribute, whether that's, Uh, as an ally, you know, being more inclusive, you know, we both on this call have our pronouns listed there. That's a simple way to do it, to not making assumptions when you meet someone new. So I don't immediately say, is your husband or wife? Does your other half, does your partner, like there's a lot of things we can do. And so that's what I would leave your audience with is we can all move the needle, even if it's just in tiny, tiny increments along the way. And from a place that everyone feels comfortable with without expecting that it means standing on these public forums to do it.
0: Right. Exactly. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because that is, that's kind of what I was hoping for. Um, (laughs) um, Yes. I mean, it's absolutely true. There's, there is a, a place for everyone and we need everyone. So if you, you know, whatever you feel moved to, to do or say it does, make a huge, more of a difference than you realize, I think. So thank you so, so much for being with me today. This was really fun. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure everybody listening will say the same thing. So thank you for your time and taking time out of your day to be here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And now it's time for your parenting LGBTQ and a Today is day two of my magic mind challenge, and I am honestly, really pleasantly surprised. I had to delay the start of my challenge because I caught COVID, which was a huge bummer for a million reasons, but it actually gave me a great proving ground for this magic little shot. A fun fact about me is that I love coffee. It is a comforting and grounding part of my morning routine and I love everything about it. The smell, the taste, the ritual, so you can imagine that I need to be pretty intrigued by the health benefits of something if it is going to be added into my routine and decrease the amount of daily coffee I consume. So while my actual COVID symptoms were pretty mild, the lingering fatigue has been super annoying because it has really cut into my daily productivity. Enter magic mind. I am lukewarm at best when it comes to the taste of matcha. I'm all in on the health benefits, but I had not yet found a way that I enjoyed drinking it until now. I drank that first shot with just a bit of skepticism and my breath held. And I have to say it was not just bearable, but really good. I'm really excited to see what the next week will bring. So stay tuned. And I'd love for you to join me on this challenge. Remember, you can get 20% off of your entire purchase using the code BREATHE14. That's B-R-E-A. T H E one four. All of the details are in the show notes and all over social media. And remember to tag hashtag 14 days of magic to help save the Amazon. This episode's LGBTQ and a is short and sweet, but so very important. So listen in. And just the past few months, I have had many people ask if there are any safe spaces online for their kids to talk with other kids who may be going through similar life experiences. I take this very seriously for many reasons, not the least being our experience with Connor finding the darkest possible places and people online. I have two that I can recommend without reservation. The first is the Trevor Project's Trevor Space. It is moderated by trained professionals while also allowing space for kids to connect. The second is Spaces, which is for older teens, young adults and adults, but with the same premise, a safe platform where queer people can connect without fear of harassment. If you have any vetted online platforms you would like to share, please reach out to me and let me know and I will add them to my list. But for now, these two will be linked in the show notes, so please check them out. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would be so grateful for a rating or a review. Click on the link in the show notes or go to my website, chrysalismama.com, to stay up to date on my latest resources, as well as to learn how you can work with me. Please share this podcast with anyone who needs to know that they are not alone. And remember to just breathe. Until next time. Does the thought of using pronouns respectfully or understanding certain terms in conversation make your palms sweat a little? No one likes that deer-in-headlights moment. So many of you have emailed me with questions on this topic, so I thought I'd put together a free guide so you can have all of this info just a click away. Pronouns Made Easy covers pronouns, of course, but also includes information on some of the most common, confusing words and concepts, as well as a list of timely resources. Who can say no to a free lifeline, right? Just click on the link in the show notes or on the gorgeous graphic on the Chrysalis Mama homepage and a free copy of Pronouns Made Easy and a huge sigh of relief will land in your inbox.